Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, down to the wire on President Biden's legislative agenda, the House stuck without the vital spending plan in place. Budget Committee Chair Democrat John Yarmuth. When the Biden administration released it, they didn't call it infrastructure, and they represented I think a visionary approach to what this country needs to make sure that a generation or two from now we have a viable society and economy. And ranking member Republican Jason Smith. This three and a half trillion dollar spending package is nothing but a disaster. Right now we're facing four major crises in this country. This piece of legislation only makes all of those four even worse. And full approval for Pfizer's COVID vaccine means what exactly for employees? Workplace attorney John Ho. In some sense, it's it's that simple, but in, in operational reality, it's a very challenging, very individualized assessment. Those stories plus NFTs, a stone's throw from the mainstream, and we try to keep things in line. People talking in my ear right now are saying we got to move on with this <laughs> segment, so let me do that. To offer a watch list. It's the end of uh, Movie Minute with Amy. It's Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Melissa Lee along with Joe Curran. Yep. Becky and Andrew are off today. Why are you giving us a smug look so early? Couldn't stay away. Uh, obviously, one day, one day you, you stayed away. It was like Friday. And you... I wanted to refresh to make sure I was fresh for, for you today. To really bring it. Which you really do. Bring it. Really bring it. Then you got to bring it for like 14 hours today. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eamon. Do you follow Eamon? Of course I do. Okay. So we'll, we might have time at the end, but let's get to this first. The House uh, scrapped a plan yesterday for a vote to advance two economic proposals. The chamber going to reconvene today as Democrats try to break a stalemate on how to uh, proceed with President Biden's economic agenda. You know what I'm talking about, Eamon. We'll talk about this first. And then briefly... Briefly I know where this about, is going, Joe. Yeah, I know. We'll talk about your, your movie review for, for a cl- classic movie. that. Right. And we'll try to figure out, Aaron Altman, how did they do that? Did they have little tubes under his hair? And uh, how did You're they make... You're talking about the movie Broadcast News, which I watched over the weekend. Uh, and the people talking in my ear right now are saying we've got to move on with this segment. So let me All do right. that. We'll talk at the let end. Let me do that. We'll talk at the, we'll talk at the end. All yeah, right. and we'll talk about the movie at the end. But let me get to the news first, Joe. And the news is this. No deal. No vote overnight. Here's the video of Nancy Pelosi leaving the House of Representatives. They broke up just about 1230 last night. Pelosi on the phone with Leader Hoyer said a few words to the reporters there who are gathered uh, waiting for a verdict on this bipartisan infrastructure bill and where all of this is, is going. Are you certain that you're discussing for the infrastructure? Well, you need to amend the rule before you bring it to the floor. Here's what we know as of right now. They did not get that deal last night. Negotiations, as I say, broke up after about 1230 a.m. Now, there are reports of a possible deal here, which would involve a date certain for the infrastructure bill in exchange for a vote on the budget. All three bills here are tied together. The budget resolution, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and remember the John Lewis voting rights bill. The House now convenes at 12 p.m. Eastern time today. So here's the political dilemma that Nancy Pelosi faces, and she wasn't able to resolve last night. The moderates want to move forward with this bipartisan infrastructure deal uh, that passed overwhelmingly in the Senate. It should pass overwhelmingly in the House as well. There should be Republican votes for that. 
That's a trillion plus dollars. Moderate Democrats want to take that deal off the table uh, and put it in the bank right away. Uh, some of the progressives and Nancy Pelosi say, wait a second, we've got this additional $3.5 trillion bill. We want that, and we're not going to give you the bipartisan infrastructure bill until we get that process moving on the $3.5 trillion, which they say is important for what you call sort of human capital, uh, as well as sort of the physical infrastructure piece of all this. So uh, that's the, the struggle that Pelosi has. And remember, she has a very narrow uh, majority in the House of Representatives. She's going to need just about every single Democrat on the table uh, to come together for this deal. Uh, but as of right now, she doesn't have nearly enough uh, to get this thing done. And so the question is, what is Nancy Pelosi going to do? We'll know more by noon today. Uh, but this thing might not be resolved throughout the course of the day today, guys. Well, number one, Amy, the moderates aren't going to they're going <clears> to <throat> probably stick to their guns on wanting to do the other one first. But that's not even the issue. If they did vote on the three and a half trillion, there's no way a lot of those moderate uh, Democrats and we've t- had them on the show, talk to them. They're not going for three and a half trillion. That's not going to be a three and a half trillion deal. If it's anything, it's going right. to be much, much less. And same with the Senate. That wouldn't go in the Senate. Cinema already said Manchin has already said and they'll both, you know, they'll both fold in, at, at some point with, when they get a couple of things for their individual states, probably. But it's, there's just, you, could, you can vote on the $3.5 trillion. You're not going to get the votes for it, even if you do vote on it before passing the infrastructure bill, which I don't think they're going to do because they want to, as you say, put it in the bank and get that done. Yeah, look, there's an old rule in politics, Joe. When somebody offers you 80% of what you want, you take it. Come back later and argue about the 20. Uh, that would seem to apply here to the infrastructure bill. But you're right. Uh, the progressives say what they want is this $3.5 trillion and they want to use as much leverage as they have right now to get that done. And so that's sort of where they are. But I think your analysis is spot on in the sense that everybody's looking for where they're going to fold here. Everyone's going to have to fold at some point in order to get a deal done. Uh, the question is, where do you fold and, and what do you get as a result of that folding? Uh, and that's the negotiation that's playing out right now. And, and I, Pelosi wasn't able to pull it together last night. I told Josh Gottheimer yesterday, the congressman who's, who's one of the moderate uh, Democrats, said, will you budge? On what? The, on which part of it? Will you, sure start, will you pass the three and a half first so that you can get to your infrastructure bill? No, I don't think we can do that. I mean, we've got to get infrastructure done. And listen, the, the, the next package, the reconciliation package, while you're referring to, I think in the end, we're going to have to debate that for months. It's, it's a significant, important investment in the country. There's going to be lots of, uh, of differences, but that's OK. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to debate these things. All we're saying is, like, let's get infrastructure done first. Let's make sure we pass. Let's make sure we pass that. The votes are there in the House of Representatives. I know we can get that done and then we'll move on. And, you know, and, and, and frankly, I'm, I'm very optimistic we can get there. You know, he's saying there's got to be a complete repeal of, of salt and all the all these things that aren't going to happen. Nancy Pelosi is straight face saying I'm never going to do it. And we know none of them are going to stick to their guns when it's all said and done. So people around the country that watch this stuff, they're like, I'm tired of watching. I'm tired of watching people say things that they don't mean. And, and it's all uh, negotiations. And, well, and they mean I them said it in the sausage, sense that they're staking out a position. Made, right? But there's, it, it, it's sausage it's being made. But, but sausage being made is disgusting. And this is even worse. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I like your analysis, Joe. <laughs> well, what can you say to that? Uh, you can tell me how they got I, I, that I sweat. Know. Coming, coming. And you know what? The producer told me. I, he I was amazed by you, it. He did not tell you to move on. You made you're I, a producer. That, that was a bit you of moved on. You moved on yourself that, because you're the producer. And you that said was a bit of that was a bit of news acting. <laughs> that was a bit of news acting. Later, I'm going to tear up for you. You say it. 
I say bro- it here and it comes I will say out this there. about broadcast news. It is an iconic movie in our industry. I had never I seen it. it. Everyone has always said you got to see it. So I, I finally great. watched it over the weekend. I didn't know it was a rom-com though. I had no. I thought it was going to be like the serious drama. I didn't realize it was a love triangle, basically. Uh, and, I, and I thought the two men that Jane, the Jane character, had to choose from, the two men, Aaron and Tom, uh, were both total bums. And I'm glad she didn't pick either one of them. See, spoiler I, alert. Knowing you as I, knowing you know me as you do, and I like Tom. I like Tom. He wasn't the yes. brightest guy, but I like the way he right. moved through things without any conscience whatsoever. And it, you remember at the end when he, when he did get the tear, he goes, <laughs> he goes look, I, got, I teared up anyway when I didn't have the other camera. So calling it up is, and, you know, that right. was like, oh, my God, these journalists are they're always so high-minded. You know what was my favorite fake thing? Fake news acting, though, right? My, yeah, my yeah. favorite thing, Jack. As Bill, uh, whatever his name is, yeah. Jack was the the like the main anchor. Jack Nicholson and comes Nicholson in and plays the, main the Walter anchor, Cronkite which figure. Everyone wanted, and, and they they were having massive layoffs, and they said, "He goes, it's just horrible. It's just Great horrible." Line. They go, "Well, it, we could couple cut a couple of million off your salary, and and we wouldn't have to have those layoffs, uh, Bill." And he looked. And Nicholson at the guy. doesn't even say anything to that. No, he just, he just looks at the guy, him. and the and the, the the guy running the place goes, "Bad joke." Bad joke. I, I swear I didn't mean that. <laughs> really good. Anyway. Who's running uh, these networks, Joe? Is it the talent or is it the suits, man? Rachel did pretty well. No, it's the suits. It's the suits. <laughs> right. I sh- I should, it's the suits. It's the, it's the suits. These people are but geniuses. Don't fight, They're but, geniuses but, with wisdom that you can't even imagine. Exactly. Oh, now we are going to move on. Oh, that did it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go. Move it I told it. him, you should check out The Godfather. You finally saw broadcast news. This is a movie about the mafia. And I think you'd really like it. It's, you know, check uh-huh. it out. A okay, guy named Marlon thanks. Brando. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Jimmy Kahn. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to look into that. I actually uh, read the book. The book is great. You can rent it. You can rent it. G2 is right. not bad either. At 8 a.m. That's, the, that's the end of uh, Movie Minute with Eamon. It is. Uh, it's like a whole other show. It's like a spin-off, a squawk it, spin-off. It's, it's like Joni Love Chachi is the happy days. This is... Chachi's still around. This will be almost as good as that. Almost Almost as good. Almost as good as uh, Hello Larry. (laughs) Hello Larry. All right, we're moving on. NFT market alive and well. A clip art of a rock, of a rock, just sold uh, for about 400 Ether or about $1.3 million. That happened late yesterday. Uh, Ether Rock. Ether Rock is a brand of crypto collectible. Uh, that's been around since 2017, making it one of the oldest NFTs around. There's just 100 of them, only 100 of them. And according to the EtherRock website, uh, these virtual rocks serve no purpose beyond being able uh, to be bought and sold. Uh, but they do give you a strong sense of pride in being an owner of um, one of only 100 rocks uh, in the game. Ether rocks have been selling for higher and higher prices in recent days. Uh, two days ago, the cheapest was th- uh, $305,000. Uh, two weeks ago, it was $97,000. And over the weekend, a crypto entrepreneur, Justin Sun, tweeted that he just spent uh, half a million dollars on a rock. Hey, that's a nice one, though. I mean, the other ones, I'm not so sure. but uh, He got a good one. He got a really really good one. I know a joke about that that I couldn't tell on the air. Uh, if, his sound, if his name sounds familiar, you might recognize him as the uh, tech entrepreneur who runs BitTorrent and who founded the cryptocurrency platform Tron. In 2019, he paid $4.5 million at auction 
uh, for a dinner with Warren Buffett. That's the guy we're talking about. They died, uh, dined in February of 2020 and reportedly discussed the value of cryptocurrency. But um, from what I can tell, he was unable to convert Warren Buffett. And I'm certain that he was unable to convert Charlie Munger, who calls it like dog crap or something, rat, something rat poison. Along the lines. Yeah. But I heard a really great argument for NFTs. Because you were reading that very skeptically. And so... That's because of the rocks. Oh, but a, a cyberpunk is okay. I want... Of an NFT. No, I've said what I would pay for. There's a picture of the big O, Oscar Robertson, where he's about eight feet off the ground. His legs are completely like this, and he's getting a rebound. And, and if I was the one who owned that, being from Cincinnati, I would pay a lot for that. But I don't know about some of the other ones. The argument that I heard yesterday that was very compelling to me was that, like so many things in life, you buy things for a sense of community, like the label you wear on your shirt or the kind of car you drive, a piece of art that you hang on your wall. It, it's entree into a, a sort of community of like-minded individuals. That's And NFTs good. do that. So it's not necessarily the long-term, not the value of that rock in 20 years, but it's what it gets you right now in terms of who, who else yeah. lives in this future. It, Vaynerchuk makes, when Gary comes on, Gary, yeah. he makes a, a good case for it. And, and is a baseball card collecting dust up in an attic right. when you rather better? have the only one digitally? I can understand how, right. how that would work. And uh, art, if, you know, we've seen some art. I saw an art of an unmade, it, it was uh, over in England, and it was an unmade bed with a cigarette put out in an ashtray. It was just sitting there, and that was someone's eye. So it's in the eye of the beholder. Let's go. Coming up on Squawk Pod, a standstill on the Hill. Republican Congressman Jason Smith on the delayed, delayed vote on Biden's economic agenda. They don't have the votes. The reason why they don't have the votes is because those moderate members have been back home in their congressional district and they're hearing from their constituents that this is the wrong plan at the wrong time for all the wrong reasons. But the sticking points shouldn't be sticking points, at least not yet, says Democrat John Yarmuth. Whether it ends up being $3.5 trillion or not is, is certainly uh, debatable at this point, but uh, that, that's, that'll be worked out over the coming months. Soft infrastructure or spiritual infrastructure, right after this. Stand by Joe in three, two, one. This is Squawk Pod. One is Mike Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Melissa Lee, Andrew and Becky are off today. You have to expect uh, that kind of thing. It's August. It's the 24th, I think, isn't it? I don't know if it's dog days. Are dog days of August, do they help the dogs of the Dow, do you know, or is it the, that's it not related? To do with and, you know, National Dog Day is coming up on is Thursday. It oh, it's Thursday. You Thursday. Know. We're preparing some uh, treats. Preparing some, some treats. I mean, Cuomo's done a lot of things, but abandoning it, that's the cover of the post that he left... This dog, Captain. Did you see that at the governor's mansion, Melissa? He left his dog at the governor's and said someone else take care of him. Why would he do that? Because he was going on vacation. So you know what? Oh, so he's going to pick it up later? I had three people at my house say, we, we'll take that dog. And it's like, no, we will not take that. You know, they're ready to, well, that'd be four dogs that, that we would have. So no, we're not <laughs> taking, but he is cute. Did you see him? I mean, how, you've got to bring him with Wait, you. Wait, but he's not leaving him. Actually, he got mad and said the coverage was not fair because he just wanted someone to watch the dog while he goes on vacation. Right, and then he's going to get he, the dog back. Well, we'll see. Okay. We shall see. All right. We're watching. I'm sure. I'm sure. 
Now to the Washington News, the House scrapping a plan yesterday for a vote to advance two economic proposals. The chamber will reconvene today as Democrats try to break a stalemate on how to proceed with President Biden's economic agenda. For more on what investors should expect, let's welcome Congressman John Yarmuth of Kentucky, uh, Budget Committee Chairman, and Congressman Jason Smith of Missouri, uh, the committee's ranking member. Congressman Yarmuth, I, a point we made earlier was that even if uh, the, the Speaker Pelosi and the left did get its way and get a vote on the reconciliation before you did the, the overall infrastructure that's already been rod that, there's a lot of moderate Democrats that you don't have on board for three and a half trillion, aren't there? There are a few. There's no question about it, Joe. And that's the political reality we face. We have a very diverse caucus. We have uh, very liberal members and some more moderate members. And, and the, the important thing to remember, though, is that the content of the, um, the $3.5 trillion uh, plan, which is <clears throat> basically what we call soft infrastructure, these are support for American families and education and so forth, and climate change policy, these are enormously popular, not just with the, our, our caucus overall, but with the American people. So while we may have a slight difference on how much we should spend on which type of initiative, uh, overall, we have almost unanimous support in the caucus for that. But we do have uh, enough people who want to want to hold the, the uh, hold us hostage to uh, get what but they you want. Got the other ones don't want, you know, and, and you're you've got some Republicans that a lot of Republicans are mad at the Republicans that, that signed on to the bipartisan deal. And you've got that done. Why don't you get while the getting's good and then you're not going to get three and a half trillion. So get while the getting's good on the one point two and then start bargaining for what you are able to get moderate Democrats on. And, and I don't, what do you call it, a soft infrastructure? I came up with a better term. I, what about metaphysical, okay. instead of physical infrastructure, metaphysical infrastructure? Metaphysical. Well, spiritual, I think things spiritual, like spiritual child infrastructure. Early childhood ed- <laughs> I think things like uh, child, child care and early childhood education and community college and and other things like that oh, that's a, that's uh, aren't a long, really metaphysical not issues. It's not a infrastructure. it's not infrastructure. It's a democratic wish list for you what, what you've to, wanted you for the last to, 50 years. It's not infrastructure. Well, it happens it's not what to people be that as well, but it's a, that's all right. You know, the, the plan, Joe, when, we, uh, when the Biden administration released it, they didn't call it infrastructure. There was the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, and they represented... I think a visionary approach to what this country needs to make sure that a generation or two from now we have a viable society and economy. Congressman Smith, is is that how how you view it? You might have a a different viewpoint. Yeah, I definitely have a different viewpoint. This three and a half trillion dollar spending package is nothing but a disaster. It's a job that rewards political friends, allies and donors. It puts tax increases on all working class families. It increases taxes on job creators to such a degree that it, it would make our tax rates higher than that of communist China. It, it, right now, we're facing four major crises in this country, an inflation crisis, a border crisis, an energy crisis, and an Afghanistan crisis. This piece of legislation only makes all of those four even worse. What do you think is going to happen, Jason, in terms of how does this move forward or does it not move forward? There are certain things you're not going to be able to stop, uh, as I'm talking about the Republicans. 
Joe, they simply don't have the votes. That's why we're at a standstill right now. The week of July 12th, we were supposed to have a markup in the budget committee on this budget resolution. They had to cancel because they didn't have the votes. Before the August recess, we were going to pass the House budget off of the House floor. They didn't have the votes. Last night, we were going to pass the budget resolution through a deeming rule through the United States House of Representatives. They did not have the votes. At the current moment, they don't have the votes. The reason why they don't have the votes is because those moderate members have been back home in their congressional district, and they're hearing from their constituents that this is the wrong plan at the wrong time for all the wrong reasons. John, if, if you had to really give me a, 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 an answer with, with no negotiations or spin or anything else, what do you think the final uh, infrastructure, or I'm sorry, reconciliation bill actually looks like, and does it come after the, the infrastructure bill is already voted on, or, or do you think that Speaker Pelosi sticks to her guns on, on when it's voted for? What, well, I, I think what, I, uh, Joe, I think what's going to happen is that uh, there will be a guarantee to the moderates that there will be a date certain to vote on um, the bipartisan infrastructure legislation. And then, um, and that's in exchange for voting to take what is a first step in the, in, the, in the reconciliation process. This bill that we'll be voting on, the bipartisan, I mean, the, uh, the budget resolution, doesn't spend a penny. It just starts in motion the process where 13 committees in the House and just about the same number in the Senate will be drafting the legislation that will actually implement child care and climate policy and those things that are contained in the package. You know, whether it ends up being $3.5 trillion or not is, is certainly uh, debatable at this point. I know there are a lot of members, including those moderates, who would like to spend a little bit less uh, and, and raise a, a little bit less in offsets. But uh, that, that's, that'll be worked out over the coming months. Right now, we need to get the process started. That's what the Senate did uh, when they passed this budget resolution. And again, what we're trying to do is, is to, to institute policies and programs that the vast majority of the American people think are crucial to their, their life. And, and child care being one, early childhood education being one of the most important things I think we can do as a country. Uh, almost every advanced nation does that, and uh, we don't. We need, to do, we need to do that. We need to do some uh, incentives for changing climate policy. Uh, we need to provide for infrastructure for our seniors so that uh, they all have retirement with dignity. And that's a real problem right now, and that's why the, the Biden administration committed so many resources, or proposing to commit so much resources to that. So, again, we're very confident that the American people support what we're doing, but we've got a few people who um, took the position that you essentially did, that at least was implied by your question, and that is, why don't you take the, the burden to hand? But we understand that uh, there, there are many people in our caucus, far more than the, the nine or ten who are taking this position right now, there are far more who say, we're not going to give up, give up the chance to pass the, your, your word, metaphysical package. Yeah, metaphysical, uh, spiritual, spiritual infrastructure. Just, uh, yeah, thank you, Spiritual infrastructure, thank you. That, yeah, I kind of <laughs> like that. Uh, but they're not going to give up any, they want to avoid the risk of those moderates bailing on, uh, on the spiritual infrastructure package. Hey, so Jason, in your view, or do, do Republicans think that, an overwhelming majority of the country is behind that $3.5 trillion. Is, is that the polling that, that you've seen? Do you just concede to Congressman uh, Yarmouth, uh, Congressman Smith, that, that, that that's, that's just a factual uh, a point, that, that the vast majority of Americans are ready to spend $3.5 trillion on, uh, on a Democratic wish list? 
They absolutely aren't. And this budget resolution spends $68 trillion over the next 10 years. That's within the budget resolution. That is the highest spending in the history of the United States. If you count the spending that the Democrats started since they took over Congress in 2019, combined with Bernie's budget proposal here, that is more spending than all of taxes that have ever been collected in the history of the United States. When we are already facing inflation at the worst time, in, in my, uh, my colleague's home state of Tennessee and Louisville, Gas prices are up 74% this year alone. The American people, they are not happy with the rising cost of inflation. That means they have a higher cost and to put food on their table, gas in their cars, and clothes on their backs. They're not having it. They're not for it. And that is why they can't get the votes right now. You want a uh, last word, uh, Congressman? I was going to ask you about, hey, I was yeah, reading about yeah, Kentucky, that, Kentucky today. I'm worried about COVID. And I, I'm from yeah. Cincinnati. Uh, things are... Yeah, uh, it's a shame. We, you know... Ahead, we have a great governor who's doing his best, but unfortunately we have a <clears throat> Republican-dominated state. We now have all 120 counties in our state are in the red zone. Um, this is the, kind of the, the, the constant vaccination misinformation and fear-stoking that we've seen. But let me go back to one thing. One of the things that we haven't mentioned about this plan is it would extend vision, hearing, and dental uh, benefits to people on Medicare. That polls at close to 90% support with seniors over 65. That's expected, but that's just an example about the broad public support for what we're trying to do. Okay. Uh, so it would be the last word. Thank you, Congressman Yarmouth and uh, Congressman Smith. Uh, we appreciate it, and we'll all be watching today. Thanks, I think I think it's going to things are going to be in earnest again. We'll see we'll see which way it goes. Thanks. Next on Squawk Pod, full FDA approval for Pfizer's COVID shot, which could mean full vaccine mandates for employees. Workplace safety lawyer John Ho answers all of our questions. Employers have been going through these challenges and these evolutions with COVID since the start. So this is just, you know, another one step in in that process. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Bill Kernan, along with Melissa Lee, Becky and uh, Andrew are off today. And no, this is not our last hour together. I figure there are uh, another uh, 10 hours that we have together this week. OK, that was fast. Yesterday's uh, FDA approval, full FDA approval of the, co- uh, the Pfizer jab, COVID vaccine, sparking a flurry of vaccine mandates in the public and private sector. Join us now on what employers can and can't mandate. John Ho, co-chair of the OSHA, O-S-H-A, Workplace Safety Practice at Cozen O'Connor. Wow, John, this is a, this is a quagmire wrapped in a riddle surrounded by a, a real quandary. Uh, just looking at all the legal ramifications, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna be in demand. I'd raise prices, I think. So uh, let's just start with, with some possible exemptions. I mean, people with MS, people with, um, uh, religious. Uh, uh, I mean, there's. I can think of 20 different reasons why someone would say I am precluded from getting this. How do they approach uh, their their employer? What would they say? Right. Well, exactly. To your point. First, thank you for thank you both for having me on. But yes, I, I certainly this look. Employers have been going through these challenges and these evolutions with COVID since the start. So this is just you know another one step in that, in that process. But but to your point, Joe. Um, 
Yeah, if if an employer does implement a mandatory vaccine policy, it's certainly going to be subject to accommodation issues and and you point out disability issues and also sincerely held religious beliefs. So it really is going to depend on the employer's policy. Really, there needs to be interactive process. The employee needs to let the employer know, here's why I cannot get the vaccine. Then the employer has to discuss it and essentially provide a reasonable accommodation if it can. And if it cannot, if that accommodation... Um, is going to pose an un- undue hardship, then they don't have to provide it. I mean, in some sense, it's it's that simple, but in, in operational reality, it's a very challenging, very individualized assessment. So what if they, they uh, don't provide the accommodation and the employee stays where he or she is and, and says, I'm not doing it? Then do they, can they fire those people or tell them to stay home or what would, what would they do? Right. Well, that's the question, right? If staying home is the answer, and that's a reasonable accommodation, and certainly that the employee might argue that, that particularly if they've been working from home for a while, says, well, why can't you provide accommodation for the last year and a half I've been working at home? Why can't I continue this? That is going to be the analysis that the employer needs to conduct. But if it determines for business reasons, it really needs its workforce, you know, back in the office, uh, you know, for different reasons, it's going to have to overcome that no suggestion that the work cannot continue to be done at home. Uh, but if, again, if it ultimately concludes that it is an undue hardship and that there's really no substitute that the employee really needs to get the, the vaccine to perform his or her job, then yes, termination certainly is, is an option for the employer. Now that could of course lead to litigation. What if someone is just adamant and says, I'm 25 years old, uh, I, I have I never get sick. I have, I have great health in my view. And they say, I'm worried about uh, heart inflammation, blood clots. Um, what are the other things that I've seen? Fertility issues. I've seen, um, I don't know, some of the very rare cases of some weird autoimmune. What if they say, this is my body and I'm I am worried about these things. You may tell me I'm wrong, but everybody's got an opinion. I'm worried about that and I don't want to do it. Right. Look, if they if it's just a straightforward, I don't want to do it sort of period, whether you whether they make some you know medical excuse or they even if it's a political issue. I mean, that certainly is not going to be, you know, really a disability. So you, you know, accommodation issue. Right. I mean, if they have doctor support for that, then, you know, maybe we're in that area. Now we've got to take that as a med- disability accommodation. But they have no support and they just say, I'm 25. I'm healthy. I, you know, I think my own body is a stronger immune system than than the vaccine. And, you know, you know, very likely that is not going to be an issue where um, the an accommodation has to be provided. John, is there precedent for uh, private employers to mandate something in the public health realm? And do you think that there could be constitutional challenges to mandates? Well, I, look, I mean, first of all, of course, the, the Constitution is really going to apply in the, in, the, in the public sector, but it's not, we, we know that in the healthcare industry in particular, flu mandates have been around for a while, right? Particularly with schools. So the, so the issue of you know, actually mandating vaccines is, is nothing new and, and vaccine hesitancy is nothing new. Obviously, COVID's brought that to a, you know, significantly heightened issue, um, you know, both and, and made it political. I don't think the flu vaccine really was ever, you know, a political issue. So, you know, employers, certainly in particular industries, I think I mentioned healthcare and education have been dealing with these issues already. I, I think it's, 
you know, the general industry, retail and hospitality, this is much more of a new event. Right. The public facing sort of industries. Um, what, yeah. what rights do employees have if they have any in this circumstance, if they are, you know, under the assumption that there's a mandate now and all my coworkers are mandated and you learn that the person next to you is unvaccinated? What right do you have to say, I'm not I don't want to work. I don't feel comfortable where I'm located or how I'm assigned. Right. Look, it's again, because there's no there's no law that says you have to put in, you know, a mandatory, you know, uh, vaccine policy. I mean, the safety issue is really a totality of the circumstances right under OSHA general duty clause. Every employer has to provide a workplace free from recognized hazards that are likely to cause death and serious bodily harm. And certainly COVID is one of those. So I don't think it's enough for the employee just to say, look, you know, I need to know that all of my other employees are vaccinated. But certainly if you if you take that fact and also say, look, my employer is also making me work close with people. My employer is not providing sufficient PPE. They're, they're not providing me a mask. I, I have a lot of interaction with the public and there's no plastic barriers between myself and, you know, a customer when I'm, when I'm, you know, cashing them out of the register. Then I think those, those concerns become legitimate and they've got the right to complain to OSHA, which is the agency responsible for investigating those workplace safety issues. But, but I think the lack of a vaccine itself is probably not going to get them there. It's going to be a lot of the other stuff as well. We've been expecting full FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine for, for a while and, and also expecting full, full approval for the other ones as well. John, and I'm wondering how many inbound calls you're getting from employers inquiring about what they can do and what they can mandate. Well, yeah, right. And then, of course, you know, that, that approval just came down yesterday. So I, I think it's a little early. We certainly do expect that, you know, the full approval is going to lead to more employers reconsidering whether they want to implement a, you know, a mandatory vaccine policy. I think right now, I think most employers obviously still haven't. We, we, we think I don't, I don't necessarily think this is going to open a floodgate of employers wanting to do it. I mean, the Justice Department had said a few weeks ago, even in a temporary emergency status, there's nothing that prohibits there's something under federal law that prohibits an employer from mandating it. So from a legal perspective, um, they're probably the legality was the, probably the same as it was two days ago than it was yesterday. I think the optics become much better. Uh, obviously, we, I, I think everyone's hoping that with with more public confidence now that it's a you know a full approval, the inoculation rates are going to be driven up by that. But um, look, I, you know, you, you see every week. I think more and more employers are requiring some kind of mandatory policy or soft mandatory, which is, of course, what President Biden did with his federal workers not so long ago, saying, look, either you get the test or you've got to undergo regular testing, right? Essentially making it a real big inconvenience if they want to continue with the, the vaccine. What if you what if an employer said, OK, if you don't get the vaccine, you got to uh, get testing every week and you got to wear you know, a double mask or something like that? Because what I, this is what you're going to hear. Even mm-hmm. if you are vaccinated, you can still spread it. And you can still give it to someone. So the next thing you're going to have to be, then an employer could say, you need to be double vaxxed, you need to test every week, and you need to wear a mask the entire time. Why not say that if, if you're contagious when you've already been uh, vaccinated? Why isn't that the next step? And then when does it end? Right. Well, to, to your point, that, that's, you know, I think that's, you know, the, the president's you know, policy with federal workers is taking that approach, what we call a soft mandatory approach, right? If you don't get vaccinated, okay. You know, we're not going to force you, but here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> you know, submit to regular testing and, and wear the double mask. happen even if you are vaccinated, since people that are vaccinated can still spread the disease and still be, have breakthrough infection. So why not? That, then they should be tested and wear a mask, too. 
Yeah, look, I mean, you know, again, as you started, you know, you know, our discussion. I mean, this is a challenging. That's what I mean. Situation. Yeah, this is a quandary. I I one matching answer for you. That and you're not make- getting. And you're not getting enough calls yet. Did you hear that? It's only been a day, and he's saying, "No, my phone has not been ringed." Do you want to put up your phone number or something, or do you, <laughs> do you have any business cards that around? Oh, we can. We're, we're doing all we can for you. <laughs> we appreciate that. You're gonna. You're gonna get some. I don't see how you don't get caught. And these are all. You know, these are things that I, I read on social media. It's really, it's, it's crazy. But, uh, John, thank you. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you got a lot to think about. So I want you to go somewhere and just sit down and think again, because none of us know how, how to, what the answers are going to be. It's very difficult. Quandary wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a... Yeah, exactly. Great way to phrase it. Yeah, thanks. See you later. Okay, John. thank you. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod where podcasts are available. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate Squawk Pod or write a review to let us know what you think. Have a great day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 